Hey there, I'm Brooke Miller, registered dietitian, certified lactation counselor, and a mama who's helped hundreds of moms feel like themselves again after baby, boost their energy, mood, metabolism, and even their milk supply. Inside of the Postpartum Reset Podcast, you'll learn how to take care of your health so that you can show up best for the ones you care about most. Each week, we'll tackle topics like nutrition, exercise, breastfeeding, mental health, and so much more. Plus, you'll get exclusive access to guest experts who will share different ways to make your pregnancy and postpartum experience so much easier. Whether you're approaching the postpartum period or you're right in the thick of it, you're in the right place. Let's dive into today's topic. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm so excited that you are here today. And today I have a special guest for you. Her name is Abby, and we have something very unique in common. So we both have sons with Down syndrome, and we are going to talk about what it's like navigating postpartum when you get a birth diagnosis or a prenatal diagnosis and just how the challenges are so unique and different versus having a healthy, you know, typical neurotypical child after birth. And so Abby, if you want to introduce yourself first, if you want to share, you know, where we can find you and share a little bit about your pregnancy and how you got the diagnosis and how you started navigating that and preparing for postpartum. Oh, Brooke, yeah, and I love this conversation because even if the listener right now is like, you know what, I have a neurotypical child, Mm -hmm. it's so important to learn what other women go through so that you know how to support them, so that you know just like what is going on in the world. And I find with a lot of these things, it gives you an appreciation for the life that you have. Mm -hmm. Not that our life is worse Mm -hmm. or harder, it's just different. And so when you hear someone else's story, you can just have this empathy towards other women that everyone literally goes through something. Mm -hmm. We all have a different experience. Um, For us, we had we, 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 were, we had a pregnancy that we very much were expecting we very much loved and then all of a sudden we had a 20 week diagnosis mm-hmm. that was not expected yeah. that was not loved at the time mm-hmm. and um, it was in the middle of the pandemic so Ugh. spring of 2020 I was at all the doctor appointments alone and when I say all the doctor Ugh. appointments I had one doctor appointment. Um, and then it was my third child. I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was almost planning on a home birth. Like I, at that point, I kind of knew what to do in the world of birthing. I'm like, you know what? If it's still going to be the pandemic, I'm just going to have this baby at home. Yeah. And my doc, my midwives and I, we decided that, okay, it's 20 weeks. You should probably come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't checked on this baby at all. So I'm like, you know what? It'll be good just to get some eyes, make sure there's one in there. Yeah. I didn't even know that oh, at that point. Oh my goodness. And so I went in there. Um, partners weren't allowed at the time. Went in. <sighs> there and they were very thorough. Yeah. Like they were so thorough. My like, gosh, they've really stepped up their game since the last time I had I had a baby. And the tech kept on leaving and coming back and mm. saying, we're going to check on baby's heart one more time. Mm. Left and came back. We got to check on baby's brain one more time. Can you move this way? Left and came back. And at this point, I was still working full time yeah. in corporate America. And I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. Like, I, I kind of want to get out of here. Like, I, we've been here for two hours now. I, I really don't need to know more about my baby. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the tech didn't come back. But about four or five other humans came in wearing full hazmat suits. You couldn't even tell who was talking. You had no idea who they were. And the only words I heard were brain cyst, bloody bowels, possible chromosomal abnormalities. Oh, my god! And I was sitting there thinking, I'm just wondering if like I have one or two babies in there and I had no idea that this could be part of this part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And now like looking back, it's one of those things that whenever anybody goes into their 20 week anatomy scan, 
I still feel like my heart start to beat a little bit. Same. Like they're like, we're so excited. We're, we're, we're looking forward to seeing if we're having a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. And that day we didn't find out if we were having a boy or a girl, but we found out a heck of a lot more about our child mm-hmm. um, and just what the possibilities were for his or her future. And the next couple of hours, I mean, I just kind of went blank, talked with the with the genetic counselor, talked about termination, talked about like you had to make those decisions within minutes of hearing. Mm-hmm. And while you're I'm fragile like, and while you're, no while you're so fragile, so vulnerable, yes. my partner doesn't even know, Colin, my husband at the right. time, my, my husband doesn't even know at the time and he can't get a hold of him because there's no cell signal. I'm oh going through gosh. all of this alone. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and all of these words are just being thrown around. And so it was a really tough day followed yeah. by a really tough pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I went from having one prenatal appointment to three a week Same. between growth scans. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Checking of the heart, checking of the liver, um, making sure the NST, what is it? Non-stress tests. Yep. Like all of these tests were going around over and over again. So literally had like the most hands-off pregnancy possible home birth. Like we mm-hmm. kind of joked around about it to all of a sudden being so hands-on yeah. knowing everything about this baby throughout the rest of the pregnancy. So that's kind of where we started. Um, and it took away a lot of the experience. I mean, mm-hmm. our third pregnancy was different because of the pandemic, but it was also different, so different because we didn't know what our life was going to be like with having a baby with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when did you find out? So you got that news. When did you find out officially that he had Down syndrome? About 14 days later. So we had to do, I had to do a, um, amniocentesis, Mm -hmm. got to, had to get that scheduled. They wouldn't let me leave until I had that scheduled. So a few days later, I know it was one of those things that like, they're like, you can't leave the hospital because we don't want you to have to come back every single time someone oh came gosh. back in. Cause it was at the height of the pandemic. This was yeah. April of 2020. Oh so leaving the hospital, they're like, no, you, we don't want you to come back. We want you to answer everything you possibly can right now. Um, and so yeah, a few days later I did the amniocentesis and then yeah, a few days later we found out, yep. The reason for all of these soft markers is because your baby has trisomy 21. Yeah. And how did you guys cope with that? throughout the rest of your pregnancy, because I'm sure we had very like different emotions and wave of emotions. And Mm -hmm. I feel like by the time Ashton was born, we were so excited because we had so, so much time to process things. But I feel like the shock initially like lasted for so long. And so I'm just curious of how, how your emotions changed, you know, from that point until he was born. Yeah, I remember it so well, Brooke. I was taking a nap and I got the phone call and missed it. And one nice thing about the pandemic is that we were all in the same household, mm-hmm. about 10 feet away from each other. So I got the phone call. I ran downstairs to where my husband was working and we called back together and she got right to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, yep, the reason for all these tests coming back is because your baby has Down syndrome. And at that point, Brooke, they had told me I had a one in 30 chance, Mm. maybe a one in three chance because I was on the cusp of 35 years old. So like I was turning 35 that month. So they're like, yeah, about a one in three or one in 30. I didn't think I was going to be that one in three. You never do. I didn't think I was going to be that one thirty. Like, <laughs> right. And like in my heart, I'm like, I have this gut instinct that this is just part of my story, mm-hmm. that I go through all of this, you know, this turmoil, all these challenges, all these hard conversations to come out with a quote unquote, typical, healthy, mm-hmm. normal baby. Mm-hmm. And so when she said that, I literally went blank mm-hmm. and I went blank, almost blacked out for the next like two to three weeks. Oh, I, I don't yes. remember a lot of what happened. Yep. I stared mm-hmm. at walls for hours at a time. I forgot to eat. I forgot to drink. Um, I, I couldn't like my word processing was off. My husband went to Google. He started researching. Oh, he Google started talking to like people. not and- the most helpful. <laughs> And, and it's, it's interesting because he's like, I found so much closure mm. and 
so much angst at the same time. And he's like, I had, but I had to have the closure. Mm -hmm. And so along with it, I had all of the worry Mm -hmm. and he's like, it helped me. And that's what he does still to this day. If anything comes up with any type of health or um, challenge that we go through. Uh, we also started finding people. Like I found you mm-hmm. during that time. Um, I found some of my closest lucky few friends during that time. I didn't realize how many resources there were. Yeah. And you guys were all so happy mm-hmm. about it. And I say that word happy because at the time I'm like, no, you guys, this is sad. Mm-hmm. Like we are supposed to have this thriving child. This is sad. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I started like learning more about it, seeing photos, like understanding, first of all, Kids with Down syndrome, like babies with Down syndrome, so they're cute. cuter than typical. Oh my kids. gosh! Like so cute. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that. I know. <laughs> and like so the nurses cute. in the hospital, they said the same oh, thing yes. too because they're just so chubby yes. and they're so happy yes. and they're yeah, like chill. All the, the chillest babies, like <laughs> so chill, so chill, <laughs> so chill that we had to set alarms to wake our kid up because same. he slept through the night. Starting yes. Day one. <laughs> I feel like our experience was so similar. And looking back now, I'm like, oh. I wish I could just hold that April mom that was so scared and tell her that it was going to be okay, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have been able to do it unless I went through it. Yeah. It wasn't okay at the time. And I can honestly say that. Yeah. And I think something that helped me so much through my process was the same thing. It was like reaching out and talking to families. We are very fortunate here in Denver that we have such a big network. And so when we found out, you know, we actually found out at 12 weeks, they basically were like, oh, your baby has a heartbeat. Like, oh, awesome. Baby looks good. Are you doing any genetic testing? No, we don't need that. We're young. We're healthy. And the tech just had this look on her face like, like your life's about to change. And then we got pulled into a room similarly. And it was like, hey, your baby um, has this, this or this. You know, a lot of them, they're going to die at birth or during birth. And the odds that you're going to have a healthy living child at the end of this are not good. So and that was like the news we got. And we that did. That was the news. And that's how they share it too. It, it, oh, yeah. it was just like, well, you can go upstairs and terminate. And it's like, wait, what? Like you're just, you're in shock. And then all of a sudden, like you see this baby moving and the heartbeat and everything looks great. And then all of a sudden you're literally told this news. And so we actually, we held off, we did a blood test. And then it was like, oh, you have a 65% chance that your baby has Down syndrome. I felt a little relief in that moment because then I was like, okay, I at least know what we're potentially dealing with because they had listed off like 13 diagnoses at yes, the time. And it was like, exactly. Yep. Same. What? Yep. Like, and so at the time I was like, okay, down syndrome. All right. We got this. I was going to be actually, I was going to be an occupational therapist to work with kids with special needs. So I was very, very, like I had a very different perspective. My mother-in-law, you know, works with kids with special needs. And so when I heard down syndrome, I actually felt a sense of relief of like, okay, the likelihood that they will die at birth is, you know, it felt like, okay, the odds that I'll take home a a living child is better. But then at 20 weeks, it was like, oh, he has a major heart defect. Like your baby needs open heart surgery after birth. Uh, My placenta stopped flowing and working. And so from 27 weeks on, we were basically told that my odds of stillbirth were increasing like throughout the pregnancy. And um, yeah, we were told pretty much my entire third trimester that the odds of stillbirth were extremely high. And so for us, it was also like just anxiety, like the whole pregnancy, just so many appointments, so much anxiety. I was just terrified. Like, am I even going to meet my child alive at this point? And um, it really took away. It just took away when you're that stressed throughout your entire pregnancy. Like it just takes some of that joy away. And 
I don't know about you, but I felt so jealous of all of my other friends who were like, I'm, yeah. I'm having a girl or boy or whatever. And this is great. And my baby's growing. And I was like, like, I just felt so much jealousy. And that's not something that I would normally feel. Right. And then, and then when you meet your baby, it's just this sense of relief, like, okay, they're here. I can see them and they're here they're alive. They're alive and like, I can see them yeah. and mm-hmm. they're healthy. And so how was the experience? Like once you gave birth to him, how was that experience, especially the first year postpartum, how did that differ from your other children? Because we did it backwards, right? Like Ashton was my first experience with postpartum. And so I didn't know any different. Whereas you, you had these other postpartum experiences Mm -hmm. first. And so I think like we probably have very different perspectives on how that first year went because I had nothing to really go off of versus you had other experiences. Yeah. And I think that, um, to kind of like lay the story in a way that our listeners can understand my first pregnancy, it was a very much wanted pregnancy and it took us about a year to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. And during that time, my type A self, I did all the research. I read every single book. I I pinned all the Pinterest boards, every single blog post. I was ready for postpartum. And so that was like the best experience of my life. I, I had a kid that was sleeping and eating and like everything was like literally perfect. I think about that postpartum experience as being so well educated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) With our second, um, we, because it took us a year to get pregnant with our first, we're like, you know what? We'll just start trying now. If it happens in the next couple of months, that's great. First time bang. (laughs) Yeah. We weren't ready to have another kid. Yeah. (laughs) Like put it that way. Like we were in the middle of a house remodel. Like we were not ready. We did not want two under two. Um, so when he was born, it was almost like, oh my gosh, we're not ready for this. I'm not prepared. We had a toddler at the time who was not as easy as she was during the first year of her life. Yeah. And I suffered major postpartum depression, which I didn't understand what it was mm-hmm. until doing these podcast interviews yes. and learning about postpartum experience. I didn't know that that was a thing. I just thought that I was having a hard time. Yeah. And then so with the third, I really set myself up for like, okay, this is going to be different, mm-hmm. but I could have an experience like my first yes, or I could have an experience like my second. And there's going to be a whole lot of medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I set myself up with like these expectations that were like, it's going to be hard mm-hmm. so that internally when it was hard, I knew it was going to be there. Mm-hmm. But, um, right from the start, I mean, it really starts right from the start where when he came out and again, we didn't know if he was a boy or a girl, when he came out, the first thing I wanted to know was, is he breathing? Mm-hmm. Like, and we talk about this and people, some of the listeners might be hor- like mortified right now that we're talking about dead babies versus living babies. But like, that's a real serious thing. Yeah. Like we had to deliver a week early. There was, Same. yeah, those NST tests oh, yeah. went up to four times a week mm-hmm. towards the end because the chance of stillborn yes, goes, goes up, up so high. Yep. Failing placenta goes up so high. Like you named all of those things. And so finally at 39 weeks, they're like, we got to get this baby out of there. Yeah. We don't know how much longer he's going to last or he or she's going to last. And so when he came out, the first thing I was like, is he alive? Mm-hmm. And the second thing I was like, is it a girl or a boy? Yeah. And then they whisked him away and it felt like forever. Oh my but gosh. then all of a sudden they gave him back and they're like, you know what? He's good. He's healthy. He's perfect. I'm like, so I, what? They're like, yep, you're good. You're good. I'm like, what do you mean I'm good? What do you mean I'm good? I'm like, yeah. There's a whole team over there. There's 20 individuals. Ready. Liver specialist to brain specialist yes. to heart specialist to NICU specialist. I can see them over there mm-hmm. and all their interns mm-hmm. because there's a Down syndrome birth on the floor. Like right. everyone wants to oh, see Oh, I this. know. Uh, Our like, we birth room was filled. Oh yes. my goodness. And I um, delivered without pain medication, a whole lot of Pitocin, but without oh, pain yeah. medication. Oh. So like there was like other people there that were like also interested in that side of it. Yeah. Um. So when he came out, I'm like, so I can keep my baby. They're like, yeah, you can hold him. And then because we thought there was going to be a NICU stay, 
Yes. We, we were kind of like hoping for this NICU stay. We have two kids at home. Like I was like, yeah, when you're ready for was, a NICU stay. I yeah. I didn't want to go back home. Yeah. I wanted someone to wait on me. I wanted food in my hands. I wanted to not do laundry. So then when we were able to leave after the next day, I was like, can I actually stay one more day? Yeah. Please? One more day, please. <laughs> one more day. Like I just want like an easier life for one more day, yeah. um, which nobody wants to stay in the hospital for one more day. We definitely did. But um, we didn't have the NICU stay. Yeah. That's really we, crazy. In the best crazy. way. In the best way. Yeah. But at the time, we were like, we were promised this NICU stay. We were mm-hmm. promised this open heart surgery. We were promised this liver surgery. We were promised all of these things. And they all cleared up. Like That's he was born insane. and they yeah. all cleared up. And so that postpartum experience, it was just like one bit of good news after another, after yeah. another, after another. And I wanted to share that because we really didn't love, like I didn't, I wasn't prepared like you with being an OT specialist and working Mm -hmm. with kids with, with, with special needs. I grew up with no special needs experience. Yeah. It wasn't that I had a bad experience. I had no No special needs experience. Mm -hmm. I had met one person with an extra chromosome and they were at our church. And that's my only, I met him a couple of times. That was Mm -hmm. my only thought, only interaction with anybody with special needs. And so I was terrified because I just didn't know. I'm like, what, to do? what do I'm I do? Gonna, I'm not going to, I'm not going to know what to yeah. do. Like, I, I have no idea. Like, this is not the right person, universe, Lord, whoever is up there to give this child to. Um, but then like one after another, I'm like, okay, I'm getting the hang of this while he's getting the hang of life. Mm-hmm. Like I'm learning this kind of like that first postpartum experience. Yeah. I'm learning this with my baby and we're learning this together. We're figuring out it is different, but we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you really didn't have a lot of, I mean, I'm sure, you know, all of the therapy appointments, the early intervention stuff, yes. that is just something that we all have to, <laughs> we all, you know, have to have. Um, but otherwise no major like medical surgeries or anything in that first year. No. And there's, there's a one quick story that I can tell. So he did have a, it's called a ductus spinosis. So his liver didn't attach to his heart in the right way. Yeah. Only eight cases have ever been shown in the history of the world. Wow. One other happened to be at the same hospital that wow. we were at. And it was an 87-year-old man. And it happened to be in the last couple of years. So when they found this ductus venosus, this like crazy issue, they're like, wow, we want to we want to test him. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is that once the ductus venosus cl- um, like opens, mm-hmm. your baby will die within the next couple hours. So we had to get like checked all the time on this ductus venosus, but he also couldn't have surgery until he was 15 pounds. Oh, wow. Our baby was very little for a very long time. He's still very little. (laughs) And so it it was like all these doctor appointments waiting for him to be 15 pounds. And when he finally became 15 pounds, they're like, okay, we're ready to do surgery. And that's when my instinct, unlike when I was pregnant, I was like, no, we're not having a baby with Down syndrome. My instinct said, we shouldn't do the surgery. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what do you mean we shouldn't do the surgery? I'm like, can you please just do an MRI and just check? And they're like, but we have to put him under. And that's very dangerous with his heart issue. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, my gut says no surgery. Yeah, yeah, Can you yeah. please, please just do the MRI? And they were not happy about it. And I was crying at night being like, mm. am I doing the wrong thing? Is my baby going to suffer from this? Well, when they did the MRI, they found out that that week it had closed on its own. Oh my goodness. That's like, insane. Out of some kind of miracle, it had closed <gasps> on its own. And so they came out of that saying, I like, well, he's good. He, I'm like, what do you mean he's good? But like, he doesn't need surgery. It cured on its own. We'll do a follow-up in a couple of months. Otherwise he's good. And they're like that mama intuition, like, yeah, you definitely nailed it. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I, I still got it. I still got it now. Yes. Um, Mom got so that was the real thing. Mom, it's real. And like so when it was real. screaming at you, like you can't, you can't go to sleep because you, until you listen to it. Right. And so that was, um, 
Yeah, that was a the big medical procedure that he needed. He's gotten two sets of tubes put in his ears for chronic ear infections. He he had some testicle problems, so they've got done surgery on both of those. But literally, like typical boy issues, like yeah. typical typical children child, issues, yeah, typical child issues that he's that he's had surgeries on. Yeah, that's that's so incredible. When you can avoid those like major major surgeries, it's just especially when you have other kids at home. I think that's one thing that, know. you know, Jesse know. and I were saying a lot with Ashton's open heart surgery. You know, he was a, a, almost four months old, open heart surgery. We're in the, you know, pick you for almost two weeks. He had complications after. And I did say to Jesse, I said, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we don't have several other kids at home. Like, I'm glad he's our first because to be able to put all of our attention on him and not have to juggle, like going back and forth to other kids, it was like, Ooh, man, this would be very overwhelming for parents who have several other children at home while going about this, you know? If you've been wanting to reach your healthiest weight and feel like yourself again postpartum without having to sacrifice your favorite foods or your milk supply, I've got a free workshop just for you. Inside of this free workshop, you'll discover how to boost energy, mood, metabolism, and even protect your milk supply. You'll learn common mistakes that moms make that actually cause exhaustion, mood swings, low milk supply, and weight loss resistance to become worse, things that moms don't even realize. And you'll learn the proven three-step method to heal your hormones and metabolism after baby so you can go from surviving to thriving postpartum. Plus, as a free gift, you'll get my postpartum snack guide when you come hang out with us. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes to save your seat today. Spots are limited. See you there. What are some things that you wish you would have prepared for more postpartum with any of your experiences, whether it was with Owen or with any of your other kids? Yeah. And it's partner involvement. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that they didn't teach me in the baby books. Um, they didn't really teach me in the, in the classes, yeah. uh, is partner involvement. And I think with the first, I don't know if you had this experience or if it's a typical mom, like thing that mom, many moms have is I could do it all. So I did it all mm-hmm. and I was so happy to do it all. Yeah. And so when we had one, I took all the diaper changes. I took all, you know, I nursed for for a full year. I, you know, did the baby registry. I did all the things because I wanted to with a loving heart. Mm -hmm. And then when our second came along, I literally waved the white flag and was like, I need to surrender. Not only can I not do half of this, I can't do like 75%. Like I need you to take the toddler 100% so that I can take the baby and me. And I can't even take the baby all the time right Right, now. Right. And so, and I think that this is a, it's very common for people with my personality, like that do it all superwoman mentality where you go, 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 and you're praised for it. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a good challenge and you love the feeling until your body literally burns out. Yep. And you don't (laughs) know when it's going to happen until you are already burned out and you're thinking, but I was doing fine a couple of days ago. What the heck happened? Mm-hmm. Um, I developed an autoimmune condition. So I developed Hashimoto's hypothyroidism during this because my body literally was telling me, you got to stop. You got to yeah. stop. And it was screaming so loudly and I didn't listen. And so thinking about postpartum, one thing I wish I would have really taken seriously and every single mom, when they ask about baby registry and like what they need on the baby registry, I'm like, get a good sound machine yeah. and make sure you talk with your partner. Yes. Like those are the two things you really need. Like Set <laughs> those two things. Yeah. <sighs> like the expectations and like, what does it look like? Like if you are both working 
Mm-hmm. What did the middle of the nights look like on your maternity leave? What did the middle of the nights look like? Like all those little pieces. It's so much easier to have those conversations ahead of time than when you're in the thick of it and you're resentful and mm-hmm. you're tired and you like are bleeding everywhere and mm-hmm. milk is flowing everywhere and you are so, so sad, but you're so happy at the same time. It's just easier to have those conversations earlier. Yeah. So that's my biggest piece of advice. Preparing postpartum is check on that partner involvement and yeah. what he or she is willing to do, ready to do, and the standards and expectations. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, especially once you go from like one to two kids or two to three kids, like your duties drastically change, you know, because you can't take care of two kids or three kids by yourself necessarily all the time. Like that's, that's a lot to handle. And so really, you know, just dividing and conquering is the thing that is, is so crucial. And I think I was exactly like you, especially with Ashton is I loved the praise. I loved being like, Oh my gosh, you're taking, you're pumping full time and you're doing all of his therapy and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I was like, yeah, I'm super mom. And then I burned out like quickly. It was right after his open heart surgery. I had to go back to my clinical job full time. And then that was a point of like, I can't do everything anymore. And it, it and it wasn't that, you know, Jesse was being neglectful. It was that I wasn't allowing him to help. I wasn't asking him to help. I wasn't telling him what I needed. And I just was trying to do everything on my own. And I would have 100% agree with that advice to any mom who is is pregnant postpartum, or maybe this is your third postpartum experience, but it's still an adjustment going from two to three kids. And so you have to really reevaluate all of those expectations with each pregnancy. Um, what I'm going to add one more thing to this because some people listening right now might be like, Oh, easy for you to say you have a partner at home Mm -hmm. or my partner travels or my partner, um, you know, has traditional values and Mm -hmm. really wants me. I understand all those things find somebody else. I'm yeah. saying this in the most loving way. Is there somebody at church? Is there a neighbor? Is there an older woman down the street that would give anything to be closer to her own grandbabies and could take you guys in? Mm-hmm. Is there a best friend that right now she can help you and you can help her in the yeah. future? Like, is there paid help that you can use? Is there a mother's helper? Is there an, a, a, you know, an your eighth mom. grader down the street? Yeah. Is it your parents? Like somebody, you have to find somebody, whether it's paid or free or bartered type of work, you have to find somebody. And I want you to not use the excuse of there's nobody out there. Like I know the village is so hard to find. I know it's really hard to be the first person to be like, Hey, I need the support, but it does take that one person to say it. And then everyone's lives are so much easier. Yeah. Well, even for us, it's just something as simple as going to church every week. It's like, we get an hour long break of, you know, and I know that my kids are taken well care of because I worked in that nursery for years and I was like one of the lead volunteers. And so it's like, I fully trust them when they are in that environment. And for us, it's like, of course, like we love going to church because it fills up our cup in all of these other ways, but it's truly like we get a break and that one hour, it does wonders just to get like an hour alone. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we actually changed um, this past year is we finally found a sitter who, you know, she was very familiar, you know, Ashton not only has Down syndrome, has autism. And we found a sitter who is very, you know, her brother has autism. And so we have like dedicated and made it a priority in our life that we will do ideally two date nights a week or sorry, I wish two date nights a month. (laughs) And, you know, some months it's once and some, you know, some, some months it's twice, but really we've tried to make that a priority because we both have realized like if we don't get a break alone together, or if we don't get a break separately, we'll even tag team and say like, 
oh, do you want to go get your nails done for an hour today? And then my husband loves to fish. So he's like, I'm going to go fishing this morning. And then you go get brunch or whatever with your girlfriends. And so we'll even divide and conquer on the weekends where maybe we don't see each other as often, but we each get a break. And so I exactly. I think it's so important. And that's something I didn't want to pay for for a lo- the longest time. Agreed. Right. And right. and then it just hit. It's like, hey, this is starting to impact our marriage because we're not having enough alone time together. And so I will suck it up. I will pay the babysitter because my marriage is is important. And if it gets neglected, you know, it's going to start to lead to other, other things down the line. Um, so I love that piece of advice. And what would you tell specifically a mom today who gets either a prenatal or a birth diagnosis, not just for Down syndrome, but any type of diagnosis? And it could be that her baby gets a diagnosis, a medical diagnosis at one years old or two years old. Um, what would you say to that mom? And this is a hard conversation because we heard all of the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So did we. And it wasn't their fault. They just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we heard everything from, oh my God, to, are you sure? Mm-hmm. To, I'm sorry. To, 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 I'm sorry. To, you're going to be the best mom ever. I, I'm so excited to have a baby with Down syndrome in our family. Like the toxic positivity, the absolute mm-hmm. harshness, yeah. the I'm sorry. like we heard it all. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to take that in during that one week of time and be like, never say that again. Mm-hmm. Never say that again. Never say that again. Mm-hmm. Don't ever say that again. So like I have this long list of things to not say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I would start off with saying is like a very, very kind, but confident like, I know things right now aren't according to plan. You're going to do wonderful things, mm-hmm. even if right now it might not feel that way. Mm-hmm. What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Or when can I come to walk your dog? Or what do you want for dinner tonight? I'm bringing you food. Like mm-hmm. following it up with something that can take a load off their plate, mm-hmm. but just like reassuring that mom, that dad, that you're completely correct. This is not according to your plan, Mm -hmm. but this is going to work out in ways that you have no idea how amazing it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And we literally don't know. I mean, like think about Ashton, think about Owen, Mm -hmm. like they have brightened our lives in ways that our typical kids never would have. Mm -hmm. Like we are part of these communities that are advocates that are so close knit because of these hard, challenging times that we never have at baseball practice with our son or at dance practice with our daughter. Like it's just, it's, it feels so much more surface level Mm -hmm. versus the deepness that we can feel in the lucky few community. Mm -hmm. And it could be any, I mean, it could be ADHD. It could be autism. It could be, um, you know, a heart defect that comes out later. It could be all these things. And I'm tearing up thinking about this because we have friends who have been through that Mm -hmm. and we were the first ones that they reached out to. And then we, we know that your child doesn't have autism or ADHD, but we know that you went through a diagnosis. And we also know that our parents didn't say the right things. Mm-hmm. Like, just hold us close right now. And I think that it's the biggest compliment, but also just like feeling their love and their heartbreak all at once for this child is something that not many people will go through, but it's more people than you think. Mm-hmm. And so just feeling that and knowing that when you're having these conversations, and if you don't know what to say, even just saying, I'm here for you mm-hmm. is better than saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, for sure. And even just asking like, how are you doing? How are you coping right now? Because those emotions change so drastically. And I think that was the thing that was the hardest for us to experience was um, people just kept saying, I'm sorry. You know, it was like, we were announcing like, oh, we're, we're pregnant. We have this baby. And like the first thing we would hear is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Your baby has Down syndrome. Yeah. Uh, and it it was just like, can you even fathom like telling somebody, 
oh, I'm having a girl. And then for people to be like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry that it's not a boy. Like, it's just it it just felt so uncomfortable to. And then especially once we got to the point where we're like, OK, we've had like so much time to process this. We've had months like we've met people. We're supported. We have a medical team. in place. Like, we're so excited. And then people would still say that. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, we've gone through these experiences now too. Like one of, one of my close friends, you know, her baby has a really rare skin disorder and she just found out she's, she's pregnant too. She just found out her next baby has the exact same disorder. And I mean, we're talking a lot of medical complexities, you know, and very rare. And her and I were just talking like, you know, nobody expects, you don't expect it to be you. And so if you're listening to this episode thinking like, I'm never going to have to worry about this, you don't know that. And you don't know what your friend is going through. I mean, we even, gosh, one of my husband's best friends, um, their baby was just born and he died, you know, like the next day. And it was just like (sighs) devastating. Like, you know, you just, you don't know what can happen. And so I think being prepared and like, just how can you support that person? And so asking like, how are you doing today? And letting them have all emotions because that, you know, that day they might be just sitting in grief. They might have one day where they're feeling okay and then doing something for them. And it doesn't, you know, maybe it's just sending a coffee. Maybe it's, you know, it's hard when you're not local. And that's what we've struggled with with some of our friends going through this stuff is they're not necessarily like in the same state, but can you send them a meal? Can you do something just so that they feel loved and supported? And, um, yeah, I think for us, that was the same thing. It was just, you don't have to say you're sorry. You know, it it's not a helpful thing to say um, right. or the toxic positivity. So, yep. I mean, you get a little bit of everything and it, none of it feels right. So mm-hmm. that's like one of my favorite conversations to have of people who are supporting others going through a diagnosis. We can all learn from that. Whether you have a typical child or not, we can all learn how to, what, how to react and what to say when someone does get news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, like you don't, you don't know when this could happen. I mean, this could happen to your best friend, your coworker, like this stuff can happen at any point. And I will say, I do think you and I had an advantage in a sense of when you get a prenatal diagnosis, you have a lot of time typically before the baby is born to process things. Whereas when you get a birth diagnosis, like not only are your hormones all over the place, but you've, you know, it's like, you're, you're really in shock while going through all of these hormonal shifts. And so I do think for some moms that tends to be harder in some, you know, in some ways when you're unexpectedly given a diagnosis at birth versus prenatally. But I don't know. I don't think that there's like a right way to go about it. No. And I know? went through that in my mind because Colin and I, we went back and forth through that because we were thinking about having a fourth, like trying mm-hmm. to figure it out. And he's like, I just feel like our postpartum experience or sorry, our, um, our pregnancy was like we had a totally different pregnancy experience. I want another typical pregnancy mm-hmm. experience. And I even told him like, we don't I'm, know I'm, that I'm nearing that 40. We don't know that. Like, yeah. we, don't, we don't know that. Um, and, and, and like thinking about people who get the at birth, I'm like, would I rather have had that? Would I rather yeah. had, I'm like, you know what? This is what we were given. Exactly. And there are pros and cons to every part. There of are. It. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what other things helped you the most through the first few years postpartum with just being a mom of three, because mm-hmm. I'm about to embark on being a mom of three too. Um, but in just, you know, having a child that has some complex needs or different needs. 
Yeah, having a having a really good community that surrounds you and understands the extra needs. Mm-hmm. That was one of our biggest fears was when we when we have a child with Down syndrome or any type of diagnosis, will our friends still be there? Mm-hmm. And I had somebody who had been part of the the Lucky Few community for a long time. She said, "Your real friends will. Mm-hmm. Your real friends will still be there. Like this is a time where you do find out who your surface level friends are versus yeah. who the real ones are." And I will say that we have gone so deep with the friendships, mm-hmm. and not to mention Owen the cool kid like right, right. now he's three and a half he's 100 the cool kid like yeah. every he always is smiling he's like in a good mood like mm-hmm. he's like dances all the time yeah. and so for right now um it's going really well mm-hmm. and at the same time we have just lost touch with some people and and that is okay like mm-hmm. it's not for everyone it's not up to us to say you have to accept our our new life mm-hmm. would we have loved to stay friends with them absolutely but it just doesn't happen all the time mm-hmm. so finding that community and and I said it in a previous answer, but some, a lot of people, because with the Herself podcast, we have a lot of individuals in that community that they want friends. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they don't say the first, hey, do you want to go grab coffee? Mm-hmm. And so it sometimes takes you getting a little bit extroverted, you being brave for five seconds and reaching out to that mom at the park mm-hmm. that your kids are happily playing together. Or if you happen to go to the library at the same time as that other mom or that dad, and you see them every single week, just being like, hey, I see you all the time. We have something in common. Meet here next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. What's your coffee order? I'll bring, you know, I'll bring the Dunkin' Donuts this next week. Just reaching out and getting brave for a little bit because I'm telling you right now, in my DMs on Instagram, in our podcast, the other woman is hoping you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. The other woman also wants to be brave for five seconds, but she's not able to either. Yeah. So I think just in that postpartum experience, and we don't have family who lives close. Yeah, so same. we either are paying for our help or we're bartering. Same. And <laughs> we do the same. We, we do that. So like we, yeah. we will help babysit other people's kids. We will, you know, drop the kids off here so we can go to the store solo. We will take on the kids when they're at the store, whatever it is, just to make life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. I'll also yes. say getting a really good self-care routine down. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you have to go to a spa day every single mm-hmm. weekend. I'm not even saying it's an hour long workout five days a week. What does self-care look like for you? Mm-hmm. For me, it's a five to 30 minute walk outside Same. in nature every morning. Mm-hmm. Like if I can start my day that way, instantly everything is better. Mm-hmm. And so what can you do that feels aligned to you that works in your time frame that you're also going to do? Because I'm not mm-hmm. saying you can't do self-care for 10 minutes a week and be like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm good. No, it has to be consistent for it to actually reach like reap the benefits of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually love your walking example because I have a lot of moms that are like trying to get in the swing of, you know, exercise and getting healthy postpartum. And a lot of them, you know, struggle with this all or nothing mentality. And I'm always like, Hey, let's start with walking. A it's free. It's accessible. You can bring your baby in the stroller. I mean, the amount of time that I spent outside on maternity leave with both kids has been just astronomical because they love Thank goodness they love being in the stroller, but it is it is part of our daily routine. It's like we eat lunch, we go for a walk with the dog, and some days, honestly, if it's nice out and I don't have anything scheduled for work, it's an hour. Sometimes we walk to the park mm-hmm. and play, and mm-hmm. truly, it's like even though I'm with my kids, I can pop in an AirPod and listen to a podcast or listen to a book. Exactly, book, exactly. And I still feel like I'm getting that alone time, but I'm still with them. But I'm still getting fresh air and, you know, there's just so many health benefits. So I think, I think, yes, we have these expectations that it has to be, you know, self-care has to look a certain way, but I, I genuinely think walking is one of the best forms of self-care that we can do because there's so many, you know, health benefits mentally and physically. So that's yeah. a great And my one. kids always know they're like, mom is going to be so much fun at the park. Yes. She's going to play <laughs> monster on the playground yes. if on the way to the park, we don't bug her. 
Yep. And because I have an AirPod in or yes. I am like listening to music or I am completely like, just in my own thoughts, yeah. not talking to anyone or I'm listening to a friend's Voxer message yes. or voice message. And they know that now mm -hmm. um, there's, Same. you know, almost eight, six and then Owen, who is three and a half. But they know that at this point that if we don't bug mom on the way to the park, she's going to be so much fun when yeah. we're actually at the park. Exactly. <laughs> Any other advice that you'd like to give moms who are either pregnant, maybe they're pregnant with their first or second, um, or they're really in the thick of it and they are struggling postpartum. Any other last minute advice? We are all struggling mm -hmm. with something. Yes. And that's the number one thing I want people to know. Like on the outside, you can look pulled together and crisp and clean. And it is really hard with social media and the highlight reel. It's becoming a little bit more raw, but mm -hmm. I'm telling you as a podcaster and as an Instagram influencer, I'm not sharing the dirty, 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 dirty mm -hmm. details of my life. Mm -hmm. Like even on that with our private communities, we do a little bit more of that, but everyone is struggling in some way. Mm -hmm. And I want them to know that for two reasons. Number one, be careful how you treat people. Mm -hmm. And number two, don't be so dang hard on yourself. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we can look at other people and think, oh, she just has one or she just, she has three kids. I just have one kid. How is she doing so well? Mm -hmm. When I had, when I had two kids, I was struggling way more than when I had three kids. Mm -hmm. Like there's, it's all so relative. So mm -hmm. you can look at somebody else's life and crave it and want it and desire it but they might be looking at yours in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So just not being so hard on other people, but then definitely not being so hard on yourself because we're all dealing with something. Oh my gosh. That is like the best piece of advice, the best piece to end on. So thank you so much, Abby. And can you share where people can find you, how they can connect with you, your podcasts, all the things? Yeah. So, uh, at Abby Rose green on Instagram, I share a lot of, a lot of our life over there and then the herself podcast. So it, we just had a special needs edu um, educator on just a couple of weeks ago, episode 218. I cried. So for those of you, oh my goodness, those of you who are maybe have just received a diagnosis or you're trying to support a friend through it, we go into a lot of details with a woman who that's her entire job mm -hmm. is to support people through special needs diagnoses. And so that'd be a good episode to listen to over on the herself podcast. Yeah. I can link that specific episode too in the show notes mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. This is just, these are the conversations that I know that we were meant to be on this earth for as hard as it was to receive the diagnosis mm -hmm. at first. We're doing so much good Brooke yes. because of our experience. So for thank sure. you for having me on for this. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today and listening to the Postpartum Reset Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could share this episode with a mom friend and leave me a written review. This helps the podcast reach and help even more moms. Come say hi and connect over at Instagram at Nutrition for Mamas.